Okay, listeners, I have a different kind of YOY episode for you today. It's actually an episode of Slate's daily news show, The Gist, only I'm in the hosting chair. You guys might not know this, but I am the founding producer of The Gist. I used to make it every day with their host, Mike Pesca. And this week, I am one of many incredible guest hosts filling in while Mike Pesca takes a much-needed vacation, including Dan Savage from the Savage Love cast, Robert Smith from NPR's Planet Money. It's a huge honor to guest host this show, which is why I want you to hear what we put together for you. And I think YOY listeners are going to get into this one. There's some of my usual touches. Specifically, I interview a guy who I've known and admired for a decade who just committed an incredible act of humanity. And I talk about The Bachelorette. So there may be some just references in here that you are not familiar with, like, what's a spiel? And if you don't know what a spiel is, what are you doing? Go subscribe to The Gist, man. It is a daily staple for me. You can thank me later. And now here's today's episode of The Gist. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, August 28th, 2017, and from Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Andrea Salenzi, and I'm filling in for my old boss, Mike Pesca. I used to produce this Gist joint every frickin' day until I made 500 episodes, and then I was able to level up into my own podcast. It's a show called YOY, a panoply show about dating and relationships, and we're doing fantastic. We were named a Best New Podcast of 2016 by The New York Times, Best of 2017 so far by Vulture and Esquire. Ha, ha. Oh, Mike, that you? No. I thought you were on vacation. I'm utterly unconvinced to the point of boredom by the argument. Crap, I woke up the Pescabot. He doesn't like shameless self-promotion. Slate's been working on the Pescabot tool to help the GIST team keep up with all these new competing daily shows. You know, back when I worked here, we were the only game in town. Now they have these new shows hosted by morning people. Pescabot is also handy if you need to order takeout. Pescabot Get me a pizza. Buongiorno. I'm going to pronounce your name how an Italian might. We have a few kinks to work out still. If you guys get the idea, just check out the spiel mode. Oh, what a spiel we have. Mike, spiel. Come on, Mike, spiel. Okay, and now the spiel. As a parent, there are reasons to have an armored vehicle at your disposal. But we here make mistakes too. Bottom line, we live in a rape culture. That's bad, and young men do not have the right attitude towards consent. I believe all that. So what happened while I was away? Oh, yeah, that white privilege. Pretty true, and I will understand that the very act of understanding is the most complicated thing of all. Bottom line, I've spent some time digesting. Do you know there are five types of lettuce? Butterhead, crisphead, loose-leaf, romaine, and celtus. And I've come to some conclusions about how we should reform, how I should reform, So how I do think I will change is to refine how I communicate my certainty. Men are worried about their penis size. We don't want to because they're all like, you know, sciencey and factual. But what's your reason for not backing Princess Leia? You want to guess what it is? Trump said, never, ever sing again. That, that, that doesn't work. I just hate an attempt to stifle artistic expression before it can even come to be. There's something about singing that causes, when I do it in a certain percentage of the population, not just anger, not just distress, but some form of almost physical pain. How do you define that? And by the way, one of the ones who wouldn't was George Pataki. Coming up on today's show, I will be spieling about the words wah and boom, and why you should never, ever put them together. But first, we've been talking a lot these days about punching Nazis, and I'm going to talk to the guy who just yesterday did the opposite— my friend, Al Letson, 
It might have saved a neo-Nazi's life for all we know. During the Unite the Right protests in Charlottesville, Virginia, members of the clergy stood with their arms locked, singing Let It Shine, while neo-Nazis chanted, Blood and Soil. Some clergy members were pulled from their ranks, punched by neo-Nazis wearing brass knuckles. The arms, the violence, the death of Heather Heyer, and the injury of 19 others has been a wake-up call for many, asking themselves what the protective arm of the left should look like. What's the strategy when it comes to ass-kicking versus having your ass kicked? And I'll tell you, I have reoccurring dreams about punching Nazis, which is why I didn't expect to find myself so moved. When I saw a video of my friend Al Letson at the Berkeley protests on Sunday, he threw himself on top of an alt-right protester to protect him. Al Letson is the host of Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, and he joins me now. Welcome to The Gist. Hey, how you doing? How was your weekend? (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how to answer that. I don't even know how to answer that at all. Yeah. Uh, it was it was crazy. Uh, it was crazy. It's still crazy. So s- Saturday, I, I didn't go to the protests in, in San Francisco, but I did go Sunday. On a whole, the protests were pretty peaceful. Four or five little small incidences of violence. Are you sure, though? Because I just I open up my Twitter, it's just nonstop videos of people being punched and, you know, the headlines everywhere. Are you sure it wasn't violent? I'm so I'm so (laughs) sure. I'm Andrea, how long have we known each other? Like for years now, at at least I think we've known each other for close to like 10 years now. It's true. That's true. It's true. I wouldn't lie to you. Come on. I love you. No, it was it was pretty peaceful. It definitely got tense in in several moments, but it wasn't until Joey Gibson, he's uh, one of the far-right provocateurs that tried to do the rally in San Francisco on Saturday uh, came into the mix. And that's when things, you know, kind of blew up a little bit. But I'm telling you, on a whole, it was a pretty peaceful day. And I love this detail. Joey Gibson has a buddy as part of the Patriot Prayer Group named Tiny. And Tiny is not a tiny guy. No, why? Why is it that like big guys are always called tiny? I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, I guess because then it's not an insult; it's kind of an inside joke. Because if you called me tiny, I'd feel like it was an insult. Because me too, I'm, yeah. I'm not big like tiny is. Yeah, and tiny's big. there wearing football gear. Yeah, he kind of looked like a, a, a low rent superhero, and he wasn't saying anything. He's just doing like that typical male aggression of like, oh, caveman, I want to fight, you know, throwing his chest out and blah, blah, blah. And then the protesters kind of jumped over the little plastic barricades and started chasing Joey. And it wasn't like they were running, like Joey was kind of jogging backwards. Joey and Tiny found a line of police officers who were just kind of watching and they push through the police officers. The police officers end up putting them in handcuffs. And then I look to my left, and that's when the guy, I don't know who he is, but he was, I think he was videoing for Joey, and he fell down, and protesters kind of swarmed on top of him. And that's, you know, when I kind of got involved. So you turn, and you see this violence going on right next to you. What, what's that like to see someone being beaten with a flagpole? It was intense, and I, I I didn't have time to think. All uh, instinct was, you know, you can't let another human being die in front of you without doing something about it. 
uh, and I thought that they were going to kill him because there was about four or five around him, but also, you know, behind him, something that you can't see in the videos, there was like 20 or 30 people like rushing towards it. And those people could have been rushing towards it to just be spectators. But at the time, in, in the two seconds that it took for me to make a decision, at the time, I thought that they were going to kill him. And so I thought, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and watch somebody die. I'm just not. So I ran over, and my first intention was to break it up. But when I realized there was no way I could break it up, I just pushed someone out of the side and got myself over him and tried to, tried to get his head on my knees so his head wouldn't be hitting the concrete. And then I just kind of huddled over him. And at that moment, I realized, like, oh, they might kill me they they oh my god <laughs> you know so i got i got freaked out but you know it was uh it, it it all it all worked out ultimately i i don't think that the guy was hurt really badly i got hit like once or twice and i felt like the protesters were specifically trying to not hurt me but it was intense have you thought about the symbolism there of your body I think a lot about the role of white protesters protecting Black Lives Matter because of, of the symbolism of whiteness and the special treatment that white people can get from the police and the media. And what you did there is like the total reverse. You have this black body protecting a white one and, and a white one that we can probably assume wishes you didn't exist. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think about this a lot. And I think that the big difference between me and them is that I recognize their humanity. And me recognizing their humanity is not dependent on them recognizing mine. I don't have rulers for other people. I just have rulers for my life. Like, I, I, I have an idea of, like, who I want to be in the world and how I want to move in the world and how that shows up. So I don't know who he is. I don't know what he is. All I knew is that he was a human being and he needed help. And yeah, I think it's ironic that if he is a hard alt-right guy, if he is a racist, that a black man saved him. But I think if you look through the history of America, there's a lot of black people that have been saving a lot of racist white people for a long time. I'm just one in a very long line. Do you have any regret as a journalist about becoming part of the story in that moment? I get to talk to you, so no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I have some regret in the sense that um I if listen, my favorite quote, the thing that I, I try to live my my life by is by uh Father Greg Boyle at Homeboy Industries in uh Los Angeles. The line that he says that just sticks with me uh is I want to live like the truth is true. And go where love has not yet arrived. But like you're a father, you're a journalist and you're a friend of mine. You know, I had this feeling when I watched the video, like, of course it's you. But also, why did it have to be you? Listen, I, I you know, I went home to my kids late last night. Uh, actually, <laughs> I showed my 12 year old the video this morning. He's like, huh. You gonna give me a ride to school? Shut <laughs> like, up! <laughs> like, look, like, I'm yes. an American hero. Nothing. <laughs> right, right. He's like, yeah, no, dog. You're, you're, you're my taxi is what you are. So, uh, <laughs> chop, chop, sir. Um, but yeah, I'm a single parent. I'm taking care of these boys, and uh, and yeah, it it probably may may not be smart, but at the end of the day, also like I want to live the type of life that my that my kids can look back and and aspire to some to be something bigger and something better. And I'm not there yet. I'm like I said, I'm every day I'm trying to get there. But when I look at this country, I'm scared for it. I'm really scared for this country. And uh it doesn't mean that I I don't see its flaws. It doesn't mean that I have 
a lot of opinions about it. But I also think that in order for this country to be everything that I want it to be, it means that like, yeah, man, sometimes, sometimes you got to put yourself out there. So yeah, I am glad that I didn't get hurt. I don't ever really want to get hurt. That's not in my game plan. I don't want to be anybody's martyr. I just, I want to be Cyrus Aiden and Brooklyn and Greg's dad. That's my goal. But uh, in trying to be their dad, I want to set forth an example that, that says to them that, you know, I'm thinking about bigger things than just me. You know, the other reason why it was so fitting that it was you is that you've been on this hate beat for a while. You know, the day after the election, you did the first interview I ever heard with Richard Spencer. I didn't even know who he was before you did that. And you've since interviewed Sebastian Gorka, who is finally out of the White House after serving as deputy assistant to the president for some reason. You've interviewed Roger Stone. You've been on this beat for a while. What compels you to do these interviews? So much of it is that Americans don't quite understand what's happening behind the scenes. When we did the first interview with Richard Spencer, honestly, like I, th- I think that I had heard about him maybe a week before I'd interviewed him. Like I didn't, I didn't really know who he was. But then after the election happened, he was poised to be in a position of power. And it felt like, you know, we really had to speak to that moment. In talking to him, it was really about like taking his ideas and really pushing them on it, see what what stuck, what what he really believed. Because I think that Richard Spencer gives this beautiful veneer of being like, you know, he's a smart white guy with some ideas that may not be unpopular. But really, at the end of the day, it's it's much more sinister than that. And so I wanted to push really hard on that narrative and try to unwrap it all so that the American public could, could hear it and, and see it. The races that like, you know hung people up from trees. What's the difference between you and the Klansmen that burned crosses on people's uh, lawns? What's the difference between you and, you know, um, the people who don't look at me, an African-American man, as a full human being? Like, what's the difference? Because, you know, you have this great um, sheen about you. But, you know, I mean, to me, it just sounds like the same old thing that I've heard before in a different packaging. Well, I don't think it is the same old thing that you've heard before. I think you just said that it's not, um, that you're actually intrigued by it. Um, I, I don't, you know, look, I'm not going to comment about, you know, some hypothetical Klansman or, or, or whomever. There's no such you, thing you as a hypothetical Klansman for... because the people that I'm talking about exist. They have gone out, they have burned crosses on people's lawns. They have lynched people. Um, they've done horrible, horrible things. They, they are the first American terrorist. So th- it's not hypothetical. I'm not comparing you to this thing that I'm just dreaming up. I'm comparing you to history. And I'm not intrigued by your ideas. I'm saying to you that like your ideas sound just like them, except you wear a nice suit and you can speak to me directly. Um, and I respect that about you. I respect that you and I can have this conversation, mm-hmm. um, that you're not wearing a, a hood, but it's the same thing. And that's so that's what I'm asking. Like, what is the difference? I'm sure there is some commonality between after those interviews, every other interview we seem to do just really seemed to end up going into race, because I think in America, it always comes back to race and We have been in a position for a really long time where I think the quote unquote mainstream media can ignore that fact and just pretend that it's not there. But I think that where we are now is that you can't, that you have to tackle it head on. So then the question on the progressive left is still, how do we show up to these rallies when we're facing a militarized white supremacy? Do you think they're going to have to be other human shields for Nazis at future rallies? I don't know. 
you know, the, the second time that I interviewed Richard uh, Spencer, he wanted to talk a lot about the time that he got punched in D.C. And honestly, I wouldn't even talk to him about it because so much of his views are really about violence. He, he won't say that, but if you follow the steps that his uh, thought process lays out, then it always leads back to violence. And so someone that is advocating policies that lead to violence when violence shows up on them, you know, I'm kind of like, well, I mean, you know, man, you put yourself in that position. I'm not here, though, to to judge whether or not it's good or right to do different things. All I know is what I was called to do and, you know, honestly, what I would have done in any position. What's pepper spray like? Had you ever been pepper sprayed before? No, that was the first time. That was the first time. And it was not fun. And I wasn't even directly in the pepper spray. But yeah, like it gets in your eyes and your lungs. And I'm asthmatic, although like I haven't had an asthma attack in years. But that's what scared me. I was like, oh, my God, this is going to trigger asthma. It just got in my lungs. And then parts of my skin burnt really badly. Oh, All like Actually, it, the skin just stopped burning like maybe a couple hours ago. Was that an effective way to for the police to end the violence that was going on? It got me away from the violence. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say, yeah, it's it's pretty not fun, but effective. Al Letson is the host of Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, one of my favorite podcasts out there. Thank you, Al. Thank you. And now the spiel. When Mike Pesca asked me to guest host, he had one rule. Can you please not talk about dating the whole show? And I have to say that I felt judged. I felt like he was saying, can you please keep your adult's personal section in the back of the magazine? Dating can't be the cover story. This is the gist of record. So I started thinking, what is the actual lowest intellectual value thing I could sully Mike's podcast with? And oh, yeah, it's this guy. Meet Lucas Yancey and his horrible catchphrase, Waboom. He was a contestant on the last season of The Bachelorette, and when he got out of the limo, he was already wearing a tank top with his own face on it and the catchphrase. It's all about Waboom. Waboom. It's all about Waboom. It is about (laughs) Waboom. A good catchphrase can be delightful. Think Bart Simpson, eat my shorts. Hank Kingsley, hey now. But Waboom, not so much. It's hard to watch. When Lucas Wah booms, he hunches over, his hands on his knees. It's like he's about to hurl. The veins in his throat pop out. His face turns red. He starts violently shaking his head back and forth until his cheeks flap. <laughs> Refinery29 said Wah boom reminds them of a young Jim Carrey, minus the talent, minus the charisma. A Bachelor recap podcast, The Rose Buddies, described what he's doing as the worst of culture. If you Google this dude, Lucas, Waboom, whatever, you'll find his website where he's selling these fucking things and he's doing tweets with hashtag Waboom. And if you tweet enough of the hashtag Waboom, I'll, you might be entered in for a winning for a free tank top of Waboom. But tell all your friends to Waboom or else I can't Waboom. It's like, I thought we were only going to say it three times. I then. fucking can't. <laughs> This whole thing is so tied up in Waboom's desire to go viral, 
to be a meme, to get famous already. It's never just about saying waboom. There's this fucking walking billboard for a personal brand that stinks on ice, that is like screaming over everything without any redeeming entertainment value whatsoever. The Bachelor is watched by over 5 million people every week. If this catchphrase was going to catch, his exit in May was the big shot. Here's Lucas on Good Morning America. I feel like we should probably just get to it. How did the whole waboom thing come about? Uh, you mean waboom? Wow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, you. you know, Laura, to be honest, I've been wabooming since the womb. And Jimmy Kimmel. When did you start wabooming? I've been wabooming since the womb. Now, I'm no aspiring comedian, but couldn't you have just said, since the wah womb? Then, on Good Morning America, he said the thing I've been wondering. Is there more to him than this? You know, there's more to me than just the, you know, yeah. wah boom. You know what I yeah. mean? There's a, there's a heart and soul and, and, and a lot of depth to my personality. I had to figure out if this was true. Now that all the TV interviews are over, what will become of wah boom? He agreed to do an interview for the show. You know, if you want to slip into character, you should, but don't feel like you have to be in character the whole time. Feel character. like you could be. I don't get into character. You sure? It is my character. I am my own character. I am sure. But if I asked you, so how did the whole waboom thing come about, would your answer be it started in the womb? Or would your answer be how it came about? You know, that's what I mean by think about if you want to be in character or not. Well, I think it came about just through uh, like a bolt of lightning, you know, like how Einstein created E equals MC squared, it's the same thing. But you said on Good Morning America and Jimmy Kimmel that it started in the womb, which, by the way, I wish you would say the wah womb because that would be really funny. The <laughs> wah, 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 wah womb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be funny. The reason why I say it started in the womb because I've always been like this. Have you had other catchphrases over the years? Yeah. I have one, which is burger time. And it's burger time with a Y. You know, it can be used like it's burger time, baby. Like, it's a state of mind, or you can just use it in the literal sense that you're just eating a burger. I was thinking he might be joking here, but then he started rattling off all the catchphrases. I'll let the big dog eat, gobble time, burger time, who's hungry, who's sucking what, where's the chicken, how's your burger, why not, why not you, why not do amazing things, why not world. Do you want to be famous? Or I guess the question is like, do you feel famous? And then my next one would be, do you want to be? I really don't care about the fame. I'm more about the idea of influence, celebrity status and all that comes with being an influencer. A combination of the Jim Carrey and the Thomas Edison and Warren Buffett mentality. Now that was a very random list of names of famous people to prove that he doesn't want to be famous. But you know what? Lucas has dreams. We all do. I was listening to the Wah Boom song. Oh yeah, there's a Wah Boom song. Walking in the club, they trying to show me love to Mr. Wah Boom. I'm Mr. Wah Boom. I love you. Is that a lady or a child? I cannot tell. But you know what? You know what's important? She loves him. So bear with me here, but I couldn't help but think here of the scene from the television show BoJack Horseman. It's a show about a 90s sitcom star, BoJack, trying to figure out how to live, 
how to find meaning in life. It's actually a funny show. I don't know why that description makes it sound like a slog. And there's this scene. He's talking with his PR girlfriend, Anna, just after being nominated for an Oscar. Awards aren't about who's best, Bojack. That's literally the only thing they're about. No. All this means is that you're one of the special people. I saw it the first time I met you. You must have known it all your life. And all your life, people told you that you were wrong, that you weren't special, that you were just like everybody else. But now, the special people are saying, you were right, Bojack. You were right. I was right. I am one of the special people. Yes. And that's what I wanted to hear from Lucas, that he joined this giant clusterfuck of aspiring influencers because he wants to be proved right, that he is truly one of the special people. So I asked him, why are you doing all this? I'm doing this to create things for the greater good of the world. Like what? Like creating more efficiency through, you know, uh, city development, bringing water to Africa. You know, helping people in the U.S., creating cities in the U.S. that are in the middle of nowhere, lakes, and in in more metropolitan area in in the Midwest somewhere. To be honest with you guys, I can't tell if he's crazy or just full of it. Who knows? Maybe someday we'll all visit Waboomville, Iowa. You know, the new metropolitan area on a man-made lake, brought to you by our new minister of Waboom, Lucas Yancey. But first, check out his new video. On YouTube. I just came out with a new video where I, was, I gave 10, supposed to be 10 burgers, but 10 tacos to this homeless guy who was outside of Taco Bell. It's a fun video. You should see it. It's on my YouTube page. At the time of this taping, it has 57 views. YY is produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Lindsay Cradwell. The Gist is produced by Mary Wilson. She gave that pescabot life, and now we must destroy it. And Daniel Schrader. He edited down the Waboom Guy interview, and I can't really explain it, but I talked on the phone with this guy for 72 minutes, and Dan heard all of the minutes, even the ones where the Waboom Guy was talking in Spanish to his construction crew. Steve Licktide is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Special thanks to Mia LaBelle and Andy Bowers at Panoply. YY is looking for stories about being ghosted or ghosting for an upcoming Halloween series we're calling Ghosting Stories. It's going to be creepy, so send us your best stuff, yy at panoply.fm. We are not doing a show next week, but YY is going to be back for you in September. Next time on YY, we have some bloopers for you from our ad for NatureBox. For some reason, I can't say the name of this one. Very specific, very delicious snack. Aged Chental. (laughs) The Aged Chental. (laughs) Oh, no. Dies hard. Aged Cheddar Lentil Loops. They they do need a new name called Aged Chental. Aged Chentals. Aged and Gentle Chental. (laughs) It works. This is spiraling. (laughs) 